Welcome in to the Game Plan Live podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Game plan, Duke Week, Johnny T-Shirt sponsored us. Greg, what they used to do on Franklin Street back in the day? Used to have a parade, a Beat Duke parade down That's Franklin Street. That's a great Street. story, right? That is a great story. If folks haven't read that, it's on Inside Carolina now. Uh, let me find it here as we talk about it. But just a, uh, just a cool tradition back in the day that they do. They need to get that back going. But quite frankly, the, the Carolina Duke game doesn't carry as much weight i guess with the with the new crowd the old old heads generally love the duke matchup barnes you got a haircut i saw you this week i did they uh i told them to, to take off about an inch and they took off about two inches so I've, uh, my head feels light <laughs> so greg barnes we uh we uh we're working on and discussing a cool little thing we'll discuss later in this podcast a little a new feature at inside carolina that we'll bring to you starting next week, maybe Wednesday. Uh, but let's get right into this, Greg. We, we were talking about the tradition of the Duke-Carolina rivalry. If you talk to any of the old people, um, you know, Duke-Carolina was always it. It's not the case anymore, but the way this season is shaped up, it is a huge football game for both programs, but really for North Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, this is this is about stacking wins, right? Uh, we know how important that, that win last weekend down in, in Miami Gardens was. Uh, that, that was really the opportunity for, for North Carolina to take a step forward, uh, you know, both on defense, which they did, as well as in the Coastal and really kind of assert control. And they've done that. Uh, they're, they're top the Coastal, ESPN's FPI, I think has them at like a uh, 67% chance of winning, 68% chance of winning the Coastal. And so Carolina just has to be able to stack a good win on top of another win. And they've started division play uh, as well as they could have hoped for with a dominant win against Virginia Tech, a road win against the preseason favorite in Miami. Uh, Duke is playing well under first-year head coach Mike Elko. They're, they're well-coached. They don't have a lot of talent. Uh, and so that's something that North Carolina can exploit. We can get into that a little bit. But if Carolina is able to take care of business against the Blue Devils at Wallace Wade on Saturday night, they're going to go into that bye week feeling really good. And then they've got three really difficult games uh, to close out the year. And then, of course, you got to throw Georgia Tech in there as well, who's, who's playing pretty solid uh, since Jeff Collins was, was let go. But got to take care of business Saturday night first against a quality opponent. And as you said, uh, for a long time, this rivalry didn't mean anything. Uh, and when David Cutcliffe arrived, that changed. Now that Mac Brown is back in Chapel Hill, he's kind of reasserted control of this rivalry, and he's going to be looking to go 12-2 uh, and two against the Blue Devils uh, as a North Carolina head coach. Yeah, ask him about um, at the priest or at uh, Wednesday's press conference. I asked him about it. And Jason, I want to get your take on this. How do you get players to understand the intensity of it, especially when it's been pretty one-sided? How, how do you do that as, as, a, as, as a coach? Mac, of course, has 
uh, eight eight former guys on staff in some form or another, so they hear it all week. But but as a player, going into a rivalry game where it's been one sided, I, I mean, is it difficult to get ready? It it shouldn't be. Ooh, that's hot. I'll 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 change it from the auto setting, but hang on. Greg, let's let's tee. We'll get to that question, but for the for the folks in here, let's tease what we're trying to do uh, next week. Um, a little, don't really want to call it a mailbag, um, but sort of a, a, a program that we're going to put out, me and you on YouTube. Just sort of explain what you're thinking here. Yeah, it's going to be a YouTube show, and it's going to be a condensed time frame. It's probably going to be half an hour at least to start. We may have some extended sessions depending on who we get to join as, a, as guests. But the idea is you know, where we have these, these podcasts that people love and we really can be long-winded and we can branch off and just random topics that sometimes goes for an hour and a half to two hours depending on, on the topic. Uh, this is going to be much more defined. And the idea is for it to be you know, not a TV show because it's, it's not TV, but similar in that we're going to have questions beforehand. We're going to be able to look into them, get some, get some feedback, get some stats brought up, uh, some details from various people, and make it a very sharp, uh, pinpointed type show, a little bit different than what we've ever done at IC. Uh, we're going to use YouTube for that, for that vehicle. Um, so it should be fine. We'll, we'll get some outside voices to come in. You know, if there's some big games coming up or, we need to talk about North Carolina's situation on the national level or on the ACC level as it pertains to other teams and uh, Carolina's competition. We'll dive into that as well. So it uh, should, should be a nice uh, change of pace for, for what I see uh, multimedia fans and subscribers are, are used to, and it, it should be a fun thing, Tommy. Yeah, and one thing it does is it allows Greg Barnes to uh, – to, expound on his many um, knowledgeable efforts and, and a lot of times we shoot the breeze here and all but it should be a fun time to dig a little deeper into questions that our readers and our subscribers and all that listen to or, or look for you know we get a ton of questions on these podcasts and some of them just are a little bit bigger than the podcast themselves so everybody listening and right now there's a couple hundred of you in here Send us questions. You can tweet them to me. You can email them to me, you know, Tommy at InsideCarolina.com. We'll have a thread on the message boards. All good stuff to be able to get some deeper dive questions. And like Greg said, we'll get people from outside of Inside Carolina to come on and join us and, and dig into those things. You know, we've had outside guests before. Some have hit, some have not. Uh, but this should be a, a fun time to, uh, to get some different different um different takes on north carolina um out, outside of the fishbowl that is inside carolina and the the fishbowl and vacuum that maybe are the message board so it should be fun that'll start up next week we're recorded uh, i believe on wednesday perfect time for a bye week uh, you know they they cancel they have a bye week so greg and i can get this rolling free of any other um, issues. So props to North Carolina for doing that for us. We've been planning this for since January when the schedule came out. So <laughs> 10 months in the making. Exactly. So perfect week. Uh, and we will get into it. Um, and, and so, yes, all you regulars are on here. The iron watchers, iron listeners, get your questions to me. We'll get them taken care of. Jason, Mr. Doctor, 
Are we less hot? We should be. Perfect. Yeah. That is that is money there. Yeah. The question I asked was, how does Mac um, get his players, especially the young guys, to understand the intensity of rivalry games? Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Ha- you shouldn't have to do a whole lot. Um, now, sometimes when you're playing against a rival, like let's say Duke had lost all their games up to now, you might have to persuade your guys that even though it is a rivalry game and you know it, it just means more, uh, it that there that this is not a a, a walkover when you've got a rival that's actually won a number of games and against a couple, you know, at least brand ish names that that's much, much easier. And then when you turn on the tape and you see their quarterback, you go, okay, yeah, we're going to have to play. So I don't think it should be that difficult. Riley Leonard, Greg, uh, why does he instill fear in North Carolina? Somebody asked Carolina's in trouble. If, I think if Riley Leonard looks like Daniel Jones. Let's go there early. Uh, yeah, I think that's a tall ask for, for Riley Leonard to do what Daniel Jones did back in 2016, right? Uh, and that was more of North Carolina self-sabotage than anything. That uh, was a rough night. You know, Carolina was, was rolling, and then you had a – at a sub out at running back and a couple of plays that went sideways instead of up and down. And it just uh, went off the rails. So that's, <clears throat> that's not one that we want to spend too much time on. Uh, but look, Riley Leonard's he's, he's been productive. He, he's been pretty solid. You know, Kevin Johns offensive coordinator at Duke. Uh, he's really in that Kevin Wilson coaching tree, if you will. Um, a lot of similar formations and stuff to kind of what Phil Longo does. Uh, this is kind of the, the spread offense, 11 personnel, uh, a lot of split zones. He's going to use motion, try to throw you off. Uh, and so Riley Leonard, because he he's not like crazy fast, uh, he, I mean, probably similar to Daniel Jones in terms of his, his running ability, but they're not going to rely on him to do an awful lot of running. I mean, he's not Jeff Sims, for example, uh, but he's been okay throwing the ball. I think the interesting thing about Raleigh Leonard, since we're already talking about him, Tommy, um, is Georgia Tech figured out that, hey, if you're able to get some pressure on him, he's going to struggle. If you look at what Georgia Tech was able to do last week, uh, they blitzed him on 25 of 49 dropbacks. So 51% of the time he was blitzed. And when he was blitzed, he was, let's see, 9 of 19 passing for 83 yards. And so that speaks to some of the issues that Duke has offensive line-wise. I know they got one of their key guys is, is going to be out for Saturday's game. Uh, but also speaks to the fact that, hey, this, this is a young guy, and if you can get him under pressure a little bit, that can throw off this offense's rhythm. Uh, and, and I think that's something we'll, we'll have to watch because Gene Chizik, we know early in the year, wasn't doing much blitzing at all. And then the last couple of weeks, he's really kind of ramped that up. And so if that holds, uh, then I think what Georgia Tech did last week will give North Carolina a lot of a lot of faith that they can control Riley Leonard and at least force him into some bad plays, some negative plays. Uh, and that, that's how you contain him, and that, that's how you really make him so he doesn't scare you, if, if that was the question. Yeah, and you see I'm still getting the hang of this, uh, this producing thing. I need John Bowman here. 
so Jason, I asked you the question. I'll throw it up on the screen. Walter Holt asks, how aggressive is Chiswick with those blitzes knowing Riley Leonard can run? I mean, do you change things there? I think he's going to do basically what he's been doing, which is, you know, against against a running quarterback like that, you'll see a lot of uh, of cover seven in particular, you know, a quarters look where you're going to get some safeties involved. Uh, you're going to allow those those corners to kind of try to take away the deep shots to the outside and then uh, turn your front loose. I, I think that's what they're going to do. Uh, they might, you know, if they get burned a few times, they might designate someone uh, to spy here or there at a mush rush on the front to try to, to try to wrap him up uh, and keep him in. But other than that, I think you basically do what you're doing and you know, they're not, they're not blitzing a ton. They're blitzing a decent amount. I mean, it, they didn't change how much they blitzed against Miami. I mean, people were complaining about not blitzing enough like three weeks ago and they were blitzing the same amount three weeks ago that they did against Miami. Uh, it's just some of them got home against Miami that didn't against a better team like Notre Dame. Right. I mean, some stuff just it works better when you play, you know, a team like Miami. So, uh, you know, they, I think against Duke, they'll basically bring a lot of the same sorts of things that they have the last few weeks. Uh, and, you know, as long as you're sound in your in your approach, when you when you're rushing the passer or when you blitz uh, those lanes that the quarterback might try to get up into aren't going to be accessible because again even when you blitz you're trying to maintain good gap integrity rear rush lanes and all of that and as long as you're disciplined there then then you should be fine they've not been selling out to get to the quarterback as it is they you know they've been judiciously blitzing when they think it's going to get them pressure in a certain situation and i think that'll be the same approach yeah it's amazing what a couple of sacks will do off a blitz and people say oh they're blitzing more uh but to your point yeah they got home a lot more against Miami and made some differences. I'll give a shout out to Dean 59 Duke 35 as well. He asks a very similar question um, to that. So I want to give a shout out to the board and to the questions. Uh, let's see. Um, Nick Whitfield, let's go into here. I'm just going straight questions, man. We'll talk all day and we can do the pot. We can do the game plan with questions. So Nick Whitfield asks, and Jason, I'll come back to you on this. And then Greg, you can get in here on your breakdown of the cornerback blitz that confused Miami. Do you expect to see those similar blitzes against Duke? I know you said they'll do pretty much the same thing they've been doing. Will they do anything special um, in that regard, seeing how they worked? Or is it just same old, same old, like you said? They'll try. I mean, that's the thing. Anytime you bring a pressure package for the week, you try to have it so that it's going to cause some confusion for the offensive line. I mean, that's like – that's what you try to do every week. The thing is, sometimes, like against Notre Dame, for example, you have a better offensive line. You have a better coached team. You've got a team that's been in a, in a, in the same in the same offensive system for some years, and all of a sudden, those guys are are picking it up. They're identifying it faster, and they're they're picking that up. And even though you disguise it well and all of that, and then you know the next thing that you see is fans going, "Well, why aren't they?" You know confusing them more well because those guys identified it they did a great job that you know they get paid and they're on scholarship too uh and some of them get paid quite a lot so you know that that's the thing so it depends a little bit they'll try to do it they'll try when they bring pressure they will try to sugar here and you know bring pressure from over there they'll try to 
you know, switch up which, which gap this guy is rushing in based on the prior week or, you know, just different things to cause a little bit of confusion for the offensive line. But again, that you, you can't determine, like you, you don't have the option to just choose like, okay, offensive line is going to be confused on this one. That's, that's kind of up to their preparation and, and how ready they are. Now, the thing that will help is you're playing against an offense in the first year under a new head coach and a new offensive system, which usually means you're more prone to more mistakes. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see it work a little bit more this week, just like you did last week against another team that's in a first year under you know, a new system and so on. Tommy, I'm, I'm going to jump in and, and add a little bit to this and flesh it out and get Jason's opinion on, on something I think is relevant and kind of speaks to this a little bit kind of on a grander scale, if you will. We, we've talked a lot on this podcast over the last decade or so about how offensive football has evolved, right? And Larry Fedora talked about this a lot. Phil Longo has talked about this a lot. But because your goal offensively these days with spread offenses is precision and you want to be perfect in everything that you do, you know, we talked a lot about Longo only has 28 concepts, right? And he mixes and matches those because he wants his guys to be great at a very limited amount. It's not like John Shute where you've got this massive notebook of NFL plays, right? Um, and so what these guys do is you have a number of handful of plays for each situation. For example, Larry Fedora used to go back after every year and he would count the number of third and shorts, the m- number of third and mediums, the number of third and longs that he would have per week. And so during a game week, he said, okay, guys, we're only going to have on average four third and longs. So we don't need 10 third and long plays. We need four or five. Uh, and you do that with third and three. You do that with third and medium. You do that with second long, second short, all that. So you have a very finite number of plays that you're going to call in certain situations. Why is that relevant? Well, Mike Elko uh, really came up under Dave Clawson, uh, excelled at Wake Forest. I, I guess he came with him uh, even before that, maybe when he was at Bowling Green. And then, of course, he went to Notre Dame and then Texas A&M. Well, he's, he's done a lot of the same stuff in that he knows that there's going to be certain third and short, certain third and medium, certain, certain third and longs, and he wants the ability to call just a handful of plays, but to mix and match and those types of things, depending on what the offense is showing. Uh, so he actually has uh, pressure selections is what he says. They're hot, warm, and cold. So, of course, hot is he's going to send six guys. That's the max. Warm is going to be where it's a situation you're only going to probably going to send five. So you might have a fire zone in there. And then, of course, you have uh, cold, which is really – you're really doing just simulator pressure, a lot of what Jason Bate, uh, Jason Bateman – Jay Bateman did. Um, bold strategy, Cotton, right? Uh, and that's where you're going to probably drop seven or eight. And so depending on what an offense shows, he's going to signal out to his guys, all right, guys, you know the, the structure of what we're wanting to do here, but because of how they're lining up, we're going hot. Or hang on, I don't like how that's set up we're going cold and he'll trigger plays in like that. So it's a a very unique approach. And so what I was going to ask Jason is when you're talking about some of these cornerback blitzes and some of these unique looks, um, how much are defensive coaches taking that similar approach to Elko 
where you're not just running completely base stuff. You're having stuff on the field where, of course, you're going to have checks depending on where guys line up and personnel packages and those types of things. But just to have a, a trigger of, okay, we're going to see what they're going to do. You're, we're set up in this base setup, and then I'm just going to say, all right, guys, we're, we're going to go hot, we're going to go warm, we're going to go cold. So I, I lost the question in there a little bit in the sense of, like, how are they bringing this to Elko? Well, well Elko is doing this in terms of having very unique approaches with not just checks, but in telling the guys, hey, we're going to blitz for sure. Or hang on, we're not going to blitz, even though that's what we initially wanted to do. That's pretty common. I mean, that's most. Is that defensive. a new thing? Um, it's not entirely new. I mean, teams were doing it a decade ago. Uh, but it, I think you see more defenses in- incorporating that now than you used to. And well, let me defenses- phrase it like this: since the spread offenses have changed everything in terms of how they operate. Is this how defenses are trying to counter? I yes, guess you, you, and, and that's why you're seeing it more. I mean, teams did it before, but the real difference is that that what what happened more frequently is that teams now so often come to the line of scrimmage, and and you know you saw this with Fedora when he first got to Carolina. One of the biggest differences is that they would race to the line of scrimmage, and they'd line up and go through a cadence, and then look to the sideline, right? And everybody does some, almost everybody does some version of that now where you have these check with me's or what we used to call a freeze box. I mean, we did it when I was at Florida state uh, where you, you know, go no huddle, you you run the freeze and then that forces the defense to show what they're doing. And then the offense calls whatever play they want based on what the box sees. Okay. They're in this coverage. They're bringing pressure from here call this check, run it. And now, you know, if you don't, as a defense, have something else in your back pocket, then you're leaving the offense with the with the chalk. And whoever holds the chalk last is going to have the advantage. So, you know, 10, 15 years ago, teams were already doing some of this, like they'd see the offense audible and then the defense would check. So it was a matter of like a race to see who could, be the last one holding the chalk at the chalkboard. <laughs> and now this is one of the reasons why the, by the way, why uh, you, you see now, you know, t- 10 years ago, this was the heyday of like chip Kelly in Oregon. And the big thing was run fast, run fast. Everybody going really, really fast. Fedora how, coming in. How many, you know, we're going to try to run 85 plays a game sort of thing. Right. How many teams are doing that now? How, how, that, now it's a now it's a tempo game, right? Is you yeah. a, a very tempo. Almost no one hmm. does warp speed all the time because it's suicide. Defenses get their calls in faster now. Uh, that was one of the things with with Bateman actually that was an advantage of his system is that there were fewer fewer words involved in his calls. So you know, one word would communicate something to all three levels. You know, this sort of thing. Um, you know, it's simplified in that respect. And there's a lot of defenses that have applied some of those simplified approaches where you have something that's built in that, that basically the call gets in and then, the, you know, going fast is not as big of an advantage. Partly you have, you know, defenses where, okay, look, if we don't get a call in, we're in cover seven, you know, uh, jet, 
jet up front, cover seven, you know, this sort of thing. And so they know what they're doing if there's no call. And you know what the built-in checks are of different formations and everything. And you just rep the heck out of that in practice. So you're ready for tempo. And so what teams have had to do then is now the advantage of ca catching the defense with their pants down is almost uh, almost entirely eliminated unless you just do it once in a while where all of a sudden you, you know, speed up really quickly. You go warp for one or two plays when you think you've got their pants down and then you do it. But other than that, defenses have that. So now what offenses are doing is they're getting to the line of scrimmage and you're seeing these no huddle, no huddle team snapping the football with like four and five seconds on the clock. Cause they get up there, they run their cadence, look to the sideline, get a play and that play will be a dummy <laughs> and they'll do it again. And then the, the defense will show its second play. And then the offense will be like, all right, well, you know, based on film when they would then in that, that play and somebody's done this check out of this. Okay. Then this is what they did for their next check. <laughs> and you've got the film on like when they showed this and then they checked out of it on film 45% of the time they checked into this. So now we're going to run something that is going against what we think they're going to check into. <laughs> and the defense knows that you're going to do that. So now they've got something else that they're going to try to check into for that. Or sometimes they'll stay with the thing that they showed, knowing that you're going to change. All right, boys, y'all about to lose me. So now. this is, you know, this is the princess bride, right? I know that right. you know that I know that I can't drink the one in front of me. But I'm not a great fool. So, you know, this is what <laughs> this is what is going on at the line of scrimmage is, you know, it's basically trying to be the last one holding the chalk at the chalkboard to make sure that I'm not putting my any of my players at a matchup disadvantage. So one of the strategies is you make a call and that call comes packaged with a secondary call of if they check based on you showing this, then you auto check to this. It's just the way the way most defenses are doing stuff now. Y'all getting into the weeds, and I'm sitting here <laughs> fighting porn bots on in the in the YouTube chat. I mean, what the heck is happening here on a Thursday night? And it's telling me it's, I can't do it anymore. So I'm trying to get rid of them, folks. Uh, Greg, did you get the answer you were you were seeking? Because uh, for somebody that did not understand the question, he certainly he got did. it. Yeah, I didn't phrase <laughs> the question very well. But the the point the point really is you know, when Chiswick's calling a corner blitz, like Jason breaks down, like, is that, is that the, the play going in? Or is that something that kind of last, you know, last second on one of their checks is they look, let's, let's throw this blitz in there. That's, I think that's, that's kind of what people are interested in is we hear so much about Gene really dumbing things down and going base. And you can't just play strict base. You got to have some wrinkles in there. Uh, but how much is that type of play, you know, maybe one of these checks that they're able to capitalize on? Or is that just, hey, we're going to do that based on this particular look and, and see if we can make it work? Jason, let me ask you a random question off of this topic. How much of the signals, the hand signals, the, all that stuff is just simply eye candy? It, it it's you know some of it is <laughs> um so it depends and again this depends on on the system and so with phil longo with 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 those hand signals uh he has i can't remember what the number he said but he's got something like 120 dummy signals 
that he puts in there with the real signal. So one of the signals that he's doing is actually the play. And everything else is a dummy signal. And the players know which one is the real play when it comes packaged in the right way. It's like a third base coach. Basically. So he's basically taking that approach. Then you have the teams with the boards, right? And all sorts of things and, and defenses that do this as well. And, and there's signals for that. Uh, and, you know, one way that teams do the boards is like the color in the upper left-hand corner tells you whether the board is live or whether the signal is live. <laughs> and if the color is this, then the board is live. And then these couple pictures mean this. And if the, if the pictures are shuffled, it means that. And if the board is dead, but the signal's live, then the signal is what the players look to for something else. But either way, the signal's going to go and the board's going to go, and you have to know which one is on, which one is live to know which one to steal. And if so, we're I mean, paying all sorts of if, ways to do this, yeah. If if a school is paying a twenty-two-year-old twenty-five thousand dollars a year to come up with these signals and to write on these boards and to color, like literally to color and print out graphics. And stick them on a poster board. Put. Oh, we broke it. You broke up on the radio. <laughs> we lost Greg. Greg, you go on cyborg. Doesn't helmets like the. I heard helmets. I heard put microphones. I'm gonna mute him, Jason. Will you finish his question? Just so we can get. I can't finish that question. I wanted to know where you was going. Oh, there he is. Hey, you back. Back. Greg, you totally, I think I muted you. Greg, you're alive. You totally went uh Godzilla movie on us, man. I think he's gone. Oh, he, he's he, frozen. He the bottom line is, I think what he was saying, Jason, just this put microphones. Great. I know, Am really. I here? Am I back? Oh, <laughs> it sounds like it. I don't know. Did the porn bot get you, Greg? Oh my gosh. I don't know what happened. Somebody, uh, I can't pronounce the name, but 117 at the end said, can we repurpose the porn bots to figure out what the defensive check should be? Uh, Greg, you might need to go and come, go and come back and I'll figure out how to do the graphics. But the bottom line is, Jason, would that stop all of this stuff if, if they had mics? Like Mac, Mac has talked about that a lot. Just put, uh, speakers or microphones in the middle linebacker and the quarterback's helmet does that change does that get rid of all this stuff it changed some of it but not all of it because i mean the thing is the quarterback still has to get the play to the rest of the rest of the team so if for example you're running a, a no huddle which is what everybody does right now now you have the quarterback who has the play in his helmet and he's now got to signal it to the other 10 guys we need to go so back you just, to huddles, man. It it just changes it just changes where the signal is stolen at that point. So what you would see with the helmet thing, and I think this is something that Mac would probably prefer, with the helmet thing, I guarantee you you'd see a lot more teams huddle. Yeah. Nobody huddles anymore. I kinda like huddles. I mean, it's like where did they go? I'm an old school guy though. Uh somebody's in here in the chat saying they were in class with LT. Back in the day, that is, that is somebody that's older than I am. So it's good to see. Let's, uh, well, as we wait for Greg to come back in, you'll listen. Well, let me do this Johnny T shirt and Johnny T shirt.com, sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. 
go by there and get your Beak Dupe pins and everything Beak Dupe related. Check out the article I posted um, in the YouTube chat, Matt Morgan's uh, Beak Dupe Parade, Rivalry on Parade. This is a long-form article on Inside Carolina. And get down to Johnny T-shirt and support them, get your gear, and then head over to Wallace Wade Stadium. They're friends of the Inside Carolina podcast. They're friends of the Inside Carolina website and the community. 10% off your everyday order. If you subscribe and are a premium member, it will pay for itself if you get that Johnny uh, with that Johnny T-shirt discount. Somebody said Duke fans are sabotaging on the beat, or excuse me, the game plan live. I, I really believe they are. We'll let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. Game plan. Jason Staples, I'm Tommy Ashley, and Greg Barnes is somewhere in the ether. We, we'll hope to get him back after the break. All right, man, I've lost These it. comments I'm, are killing me, man. I know, and I'm trying not to get tickled, and you folks are making <laughs> it difficult. Uh, it's going to be – I will give some people a heads up since Joey Powell had to come um, pop up in the chat. Make sure you check out Inside Carolina Live on Saturday before the Duke game because we're going to have Dan Orner talk to him, um, ask him to come on Inside Carolina Live. He's got a few stories to tell, one of which happened in Wallace Wade Stadium. Um, and cause a little damage over there. Anyway, Jason Staples, I'm going to ask you a couple questions on here as we try to wait for Greg to get back. Austin Sargent asks, with the struggles on first down runs, are those struggles from not getting to the second level or getting double teams split by down linemen since we're gap scheme heavy? We've talked about this a little bit, and we've talked about how it's not on the offensive line totally. Um, but – Last week specifically, what did you see um, that maybe changed any opinion you had up until last week on the run game, Carolina run game? I think last week confirmed a lot of what we'd been saying, which was if the backs start to identify and, you know, hit the proper spaces, the proper spots in rhythm, then you'd get more consistency in the running game. And, you know, Caleb Hood in the first half especially, you know, really did that. And Miami was a good run. Look, I, I mean, I, I, I throw shade on Miami at every opportunity. You know this. Miami's run defense is legit. They'd stopped basically everybody in the running game all season. And Carolina went in there and ran the football on them. And it was because Caleb Hood got into rhythm and was hitting the gaps on, on time when, when it was there, when it was available. So I think more than anything, the, the, the running game – issues have been on the running backs more than on the offensive line now yeah they could get to the second level better that is a factor and if you listen to mike ingersoll he's going to emphasize that factor <laughs> and i think rightly so but to my eye the biggest problem has been running backs i mean there's there's a number of plays that you know i could i could break down where and i don't want to pile on to guys i mean that's the thing especially young guys who are still really learning I'm much more likely to pile onto a third or fourth year player who should have known by now. But, you know, there are cases where you're seeing, okay, this is a run where when the back gets the ball, if his feet are in line with his eyes and he's got his head up, there's a, there's a B gap opening here. And if he hits it on time, there's, you know, five, six yards there. It's not, it's not perfect blocking, but there's a B gap open. And he runs with his head down straight into the A gap, right up the right up the back of somebody or right into a linebacker. And you go, well, you know, what's the problem? What's the offensive line not doing? Well, 
this this is a, a a unit thing. You you have to have your your offensive line do it well, and you have to have the backs hitting those gaps in rhythm. Uh, and as I said before, I think this is where not having British Brooks this year has really affected them, because I think that's something that he really figured out later. Greg, uh, when you went out into uh, you beamed up somewhere, I, I, I assume you were saying get microphones in the helmet. So we started, we talked about that a little bit. I was, I got so frustrated, I banged on my computer and it just went black. So uh, <laughs> I had to start a new, start a new computer up. So this is this is uh, this this you know go, comes from our generation of like. If there's a problem with it, you got to pull the cartridge out and bang it on something and blow and, on it, and, and it's fine. It, right, and then you yeah, pop it right. back in, right? Yep. That unfortunately doesn't work real well with most modern technology. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. quickly becoming the the old guy with this technology stuff. Uh, I know, really. But, uh, it one is, thing, uh, one thing I did comment that I think you'd appreciate on this, Greg, is that the biggest change if you put the helmets on, if you put the mics in the helmets, is you'd see a whole lot more teams huddle. True. True. And. Jason also said it just would change where they're stealing it from. So <laughs> if, all that if you're in no huddle, you're just stealing signals from the quarterback. now. <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, really great. Hey, you can just steal it from one guy and not 20 over there with a bunch of signs and stuff. Uh, Greg, the question was asked about the running game in Carolina's struggle. I mean, you covered this team extensively the last, well, forever, but specifically for my questions purposes, when Javante and Michael Carter were freshmen and young guys through to when they were not and they were legit running backs. It didn't happen overnight. They didn't come in doing everything Jason just talked about, hitting hitting the holes on rhythm, you know, being in the right spot at the exact right time. I mean, I think folks sort of have gotten where they expect that. Um, and when they see that, they expect it all the time. Your take there on the growth that this running back room has shown thus far in this season. Omarion still keeps his head down. Mac talked about it. Somebody asked, will it get better when he gets his head up? Yes. Um, but vision is not just a – it's not just everybody has the same vision. All you got to do is look. It doesn't work that way, does it? No, it certainly does not. I mean, and think about the the fastest guy in the room, George Petaway. Um, and he's he's just not playing a whole lot. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, DJ Jones is, is kind of the veteran now. Uh, but he's been banged up so much throughout his career. It's not like he's played a lot. And so you do. You and I – your British Brooks is—is is he an NFL guy? No, uh, but he's—he's he's been around a long time. He understands what they want. He really popped uh, end of last year, and they liked him even before then. Uh, but you—you you don't have that luxury right now. And so while you do have a, a veteran offensive line, you still have some new pieces. I, I do think it's a problem they're having to rely on really just five guys as much as they are up front. They—they they really need to do a better job kind of developing uh, you know, a sixth, seventh, eighth guy they can count on to kind of rotate in and out, especially looking ahead to next year. Um, but, you know, at least that allows you to build some chemistry up front. And I, I think – I agree with Jason. I think the offensive line is, has been pretty solid for the most part. Um, but you got to give those young guys some opportunities. And we've seen, uh, you know, App State game is a good example. There's a couple runs there. Where, where the hole was available, and whether it's Caleb Hood or Hampton or whoever, they were able to take advantage. And you just need to be more consistent with that. Uh, and, and don't try to do too much. Take, take what's there in front of you. Uh, and that's, that's easier said than done. 
Uh, you gotta gotta take the smart play, the easy play, and those are the ones that turn into big plays. And it's just a, a growth opportunity for these guys, and it's a learning curve. Uh, somebody asked, "Can you be taught?" Mark Williams asked, "Can you be taught vision, or does it come naturally?" I think it's you can be taught, but the good ones are it's, it's just natural. It, it comes they, easier for them for sure. Yeah, and and all that stuff. So. So let's look at this. We're on Carolina's offense. We'll flip back to the defense before we get out. Hang of on here. one second. Let me say this too, Tommy, while we're on this topic with Hampton. Okay. Um, before Javante Williams ever showed up, North Carolina's recruiting coordinator, you know, on signing day, I sat down with him and he said, Nobody's talking about Williams. Pay attention to him. He's going to be really good. And part of that was because even in practice, he was laying hits that were getting oohs and ahs, even from the defensive side of the ball. That really didn't show up until his second year, and then he exploded. We've heard a lot about Hampton being able to lay these, these crushing hits in practice. You're really not seeing that that often, though, in the games. Um, he actually hasn't broken many tackles. And so as he gets more accustomed, as he grows up and gets stronger and gets used to the speed of the game, and gets used to the vision aspects that's required and how to level some of these guys when he's running, um, that's going to allow him to really transition from what he was in high school, what he's been in practice, to live game action. And that's just going to take time. not saying he's going to be like Javante, but he's a guy that's going to break a lot more tackles than he's doing right now. And that's just a matter of the young guy growing up. Indeed, indeed. Offensive game plan. Uh, we do call this show the game plan. We got called out a couple of weeks ago, rightfully so, that we weren't talking about the game plan enough. Um, I've got some more questions in, and I will sort of get them in as we go. But, Jason, Carolina's offensive approach to Duke, I'll, I'll freely admit, I hadn't watched them much. Um, I, I know that if Georgia Tech beat them, then there's some issues on that Duke on that Duke roster, people are asking about the talent levels. I think the talent level difference is pretty obvious. But what's Carolina need to do offensively um, to feel comfortable against Duke? You can't say Drake May just does Drake May things. That's too easy. <sighs> I mean, you don't get paid the big bucks just to say Drake May, Drake May, and more Drake May. See, here's the thing. That's really the answer, isn't it? That's really the problem, is that coming into this game, they 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 basically need to do what they do. And we've talked about this before. I mean, again, we've talked about this a lot. Phil Longo's not going to do a whole lot different in this game. Duke is not bringing Alabama's talent to the table here. So defensively, you, you know what Duke is mostly going to do. So So – you know, Elko historically has been a, a heavy cover seven guy. They're going to run a lot of match principles. They're going to have a lot of disguise after, you know, before the, before the snap, and they're going to do some different things, you know, after the snap to provide confusion. I think the main thing that, that Carolina needs to do in this game to basically make sure that they move the football well and come out of this victorious on that side of the ball is the offensive line needs to do a good job of identifying stunts, identifying where blitzes are coming from. Quarterback can help them with that. But they've got to do a good job of basically communicating and passing stuff off up front so that you don't have missed assignments leading to free shots on the quarterback or in the backfield. 
if you, if they just take care of business in terms of identifying what they're seeing, that's going to basically go a long way. At that point, you can let Carolina's uh, talent on the outside do its thing. And, and, you know, they're more talented on the outside than most of the teams are going to play this year. And Duke is not an exception. And, you know, you've got Drake may making those throws to those guys. That's it. But I think the, the thing, if you're, if you're trying to identify, like, what is it that they need to do? You can simplify things by having some success in terms of some success and balance. They need to run the football well enough to, to keep, Duke honest defensively and just basically identify and pick up whatever packages, whatever pressure packages Elko is going to try to bring in to, to create turnovers. Cause that's the thing. I mean, I think in this game for Duke to win this game, they're going to have to, they're going to have to create some turnovers and they know it. And so what that means, if I'm the, if I'm, if I'm Mike Elko, I'm coming in with a few extra packages. Maybe, you know, I've identified that, you know, the, left tackle and the left guard haven't always passed off this stunt all that well. And, you know, maybe I can package that behind something so I can get, you know, package a, a player to where I know they like to run their hot on against uh, out of this formation. And so I'm going to try to blitz out of this or maybe get a stunt here and then have a guy in that zone just to try to create enough confusion to cause a problem. Carolina picks some of that stuff up and just takes care of business up front. I think it's basically business as usual on offense. And there's nothing special you have to do. You just have to basically identify what they're trying to do to cause those problems. Greg, Carolina's offensive MVP. And then oh, and it can't be not Drake. No, <laughs> no. We're not using Drake May every week. We're not. Greg, give me somebody different. It's too easy. Carolina wins if somebody not named Drake May, who is blank, plays well. And you're muted at the moment. Uh, I'll go Caleb Hood just because he's he's been he's been playing well the last couple of weeks. Um, I think that's the guy that has been solid. He needs to continue to grow on that. I know he's got the, the injury concerns, uh, but just kind of stock those on top of one another. Um, let me say this though about about Duke. Uh, Jason's spot on there. I, I do want to get his take on why Elko has been successful defensively uh, over the last decade or so. Um, but if you happen to watch the Georgia Tech game, Georgia Tech's two touchdowns were on NFL throws and NFL catches. Uh, those were not open touchdown passes. I mean, those were tightly covered, and those balls that Sims threw were on ropes. Um, I mean, there was not a thing in either of those touchdown plays that the Duke defensive staff is upset about. Those were just plays, great plays. Tip your ass stuff. Right, for sure. And I think if the concern for Duke coming out of that game is just the offense couldn't do anything. Um, Duke Duke doesn't make a ton of mistakes. They're very solid. You know, they do have a, a plus seven turnover ratio. They forced 10 turnovers, which is key. But where they've really had success, because the numbers are not very good in terms of advanced metrics, uh, not nearly as bad as Carolina, of course, but where they've really shined, and this kind of reverts back to what we've talked so much about with Gene Chizik going back to 2015, they are 34th nationally in touchdown rate in terms of opponent drives that end in touchdowns. 
So they've done a very good job. While they do give up a lot of yards and a lot of big plays, they've, they've been effective in keeping teams out of the end zone. Um, and that's, that's really the only reason that the defensive numbers are not uh, worse than they are. And so I, I think for Carolina, uh, they've done such a good job, especially in the red zone, of, of getting across the goal line, not having to settle. Uh, Duke just does not have enough firepower offensively to match Carolina. So if Carolina is able to be efficient scoring the ball and score touchdowns instead of field goals, uh, I think this will be a pretty easy win for Carolina. But Jason, why don't you answer that if you can. You know, Elko uh, has some good defenses at Wake. Then, of course, he was good enough that Kelly liked him at Notre Dame, stayed there I think a year and then Jimbo came calling. So, so what does he do that's maybe different from a lot of his peers? I think he's a really good teacher. And he does a great job of getting his defenses to play with a lot of consistency and a lot of, uh, a lot of discipline within their system. So, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think he's actually a really good fit for Duke is, you know, he, he's a guy that at Wake Forest without – being able to recruit like Texas A&M or, or Notre Dame or, you know, one of those blue blood programs, they consistently produced really good defenses when he was there. I mean, it was like when he was there, Wake Forest was in many respects kind of the opposite of what they are now. They were a pain in the butt to play defensively, but offensively, eh, they were okay. And then he left to go to Notre Dame and they became much more offense heavy. And now like defensively they're eh, but offensively they, they're terrifying. <laughs> so but you know he he does a great job of putting his defensive back of 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 schooling his defensive backs so that they are uh they're disciplined in the way that they play their techniques they disguise coverages typically very well they they communicate extremely well elko defenses have historically been really good on the communication front uh and there's not a whole lot of free stuff generally in the, on the back end because of that, even without top end athletes. Now, the thing is, if you can run by them, you can run by them. I mean, that's just defense. But generally speaking, they, they, they do a great job of communicating, taking away free space of doing, you know, pattern matching is hard to teach and hard to get guys to do quickly without thinking. All modern defenses have to pattern match. And to explain what that is, in the old school sort of, uh, you know, country, you know, country drop zone defenses, you call a cover three and, you know, your strong safety is inverted down near the line of scrimmage. And at the snap, he runs out to the flat, which is his responsibility. And the, the, you know, the linebacker drops to the hash at a specific yardage. And that's, you know, he's got his sort of zone there and the corners are deep thirds and they just take off there. And that's just what you have. You, you, you've got your, your area of grass that you're defending. You know, 25, 30 years ago, some defensive coordinators figured out that, you know, the grass actually doesn't, like, if the grass catches the ball, that's actually good for you. <laughs> why right? are we you, grass? Yeah, you, why, are we, why are we defending grass? Like, that doesn't help. So what, what you started getting is, is pattern matching defenses where – and actually Belichick and Saban were on the cutting edge of this um, where basically they, they started putting rules in for defenders on 
it's a bunch it's basically a very rapid route or very rapid decision tree if he does this you do this if he does this then you do this uh and so a good example of this is let's say you have uh cover seven which is a a match cover uh, a, a quarters coverage so you know there are four four players that ultimately could be responsible for a deep zone but it's a match coverage so you're matching up with some whoever comes into your zone in a particular way and then you cover the man that's going to come through your zone so it's like matchup zone in basketball and if you're the corner in cover seven and you've got twins to your side you are watching the release of the receiver who's the furthest outside but you're watching through him to the release of the receiver who's inside him as well. If both release vertically, you have the receiver on the outside, whatever he does, he's yours. If your guy goes inside and then you see their guy starting to come outside, you switch. Now you've got the guy outside. If you see your guy going vertical and their guy coming out, well, you've got to take the vertical, right? But you're aware of where that out is. There's just different things that you do and there's different checks involved. This takes a lot of really disciplined schooling to really play this well and to be able to do this quickly at a high level so that everybody's on the same page. And if everybody does it right, there's not much space because as soon as a guy crosses over into another zone, it's just passed off. And now the, the next guy passes, passes things off. It's just like a good switch in basketball. If you don't do it right, there's a lot of space. Now you got two guys on one guy and one guy's out there running free. You and got JJ Jones at Miami first drive of the game for Carolina. Bingo. That's a that's an example of there was they, they had a match coverage on and the corner and the, the safety were completely on different pages in terms of what they're what what they were supposed to be doing. And you don't see much of that from Elko. And then you combine that with he does a lot of things in terms of disguising blitzes and all of that, where as, when the ball is snapped, your pre-snap assessment of what he's doing defensively is not guaranteed to be right. Oftentimes he's, he's shifting things after the snap. So it looks like cover four or cover seven at the snap. And all of a sudden they rotate to a fire zone robber coverage and you're throwing into coverage and it, you would just never know. There's a lot of very good disguise and they do a good job of when they're blitzing, they're blitzing from depth. When they when they bring pressure from here, it looks like it's coming from there. It's a lot of those little things that he does. He, he teaches it really, really well. And, you know, it takes a little time usually for it to take, but he he gets his defenses to do it really well. And that's that's something rare. Yeah, football is really complicated, Mark. It is. It's crazy complicated. Let, one last question on Elko, then I want to talk about what Carolina's – um defense needs to do is, is jason a, a sign of a good teacher coach is that they can go anywhere at any talent level and any level of football or whatever and their teams always play well and play like they're supposed to regardless of the talent level is that fair to say that that's what elko's done he's done it at the highest levels and he's done it at a place like Wake Forest, and now he's appears to be on his way doing it at a place like Duke, where you can't get much different from Notre Dame, Texas A and M, Duke and Wake. I mean, there's no <laughs> that's like the ends of the spectrum. Yeah, two football. of those things are alike on each side, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a, a good way to put it. Uh, I would put it a little differently. I would say that that really good coaching 
boils down to maximizing what, whatever your talent presents it presents you. So, you know, the best coaches, it's not, it's not true. You had the old idea of, you know, bear Bryant, what made him special is he could take yours and beat, you know, beat you, uh, you know, beat his and then take his and beat yours. That was never true. I mean, Alabama had 150 players on their roster in those years, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he came in with more talent than everybody he coached against. Uh, but the, the, the thing that makes you a great coach, as far as a great coach, not now in terms of running a great program and being a great coach in the program building sense, you gotta, you gotta toss recruiting in there as a, as a heavy matter, right? If you can't attract the talent to your campus, it doesn't matter how good a teacher you are. You're going to lose against teams that just have that much better talent. But the question is once they get on campus, how, how, how well can you maximize the overall talent level that you actually have? can you make sure that you identify, okay, what can my guys do? Like I got this guy over here. He can't run worth a lick, but he really does a good job of, you know, plugging goal, plug it, plugging, uh, plugging holes up front. So I'm going to try to put him in as few a situations as possible where he's one-on-one with a running back, right. Or one-on-one with it, with a tight end. And then, you know, you, you do what you, what you can for that. So great coaches, what you're going to find that's going to be consistent is you're going to consistently see wherever they go, the players that they have are going to get better in terms of technique. You're going to see fundamentals improve. So just the way that people do what they're, what they're supposed to do improves wherever they go. So that's number one. Number two is uh, you see in terms of, you know, coordinators and so on, are they putting guys in positions to succeed rather than fail more often than not? Those two things really, that's it. You do those two things and you're a pretty dang good on field coach. And, you know, beyond that, it's, it's recruiting. Absolutely. Greg, let's flip it over. Um, I'm going to let you handle what Carolina's defense does. I, I got to show Slagle. I mean, Slagle's been here, man. We, I had, Wait a minute, Slagle, you weren't here at 8 o'clock on last Sunday morning, by the way. Um, and for folks that were, you get double whammies um, for showing up. have to give a shout-out to those folks. What does progress look like for the defense against Duke, Greg? And what's the plan that Chiswick needs to put into place to keep this game? Because I'm a, if I'm totally honest, this is the Mac, point, Mac 2.0 hiccup, this game right here, these type games. Um, so Greg, what does the defense need to do to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, this is a process, right? In the first four weeks of the season, we talked about this defense is not good at anything. They needed to be able to hang their hat on one thing. You know, seven years ago when Chiswick first arrived, they weren't great against the run. They were really good against the pass. And so what Chiswick was able to do against Virginia Tech is completely shut down the Hokies running game. And so the next step became, okay, that worked. Let's do it against Miami, which is a team that is determined to be able to run the ball effectively. That's what Mario Cristobal wants. North Carolina did that. Yes, they gave up a ton of rushing or passing yards. They did a very good job against the run. So this is another step in that evolution of, okay, you did it against Virginia Tech. We just kind of brushed it off because it was Virginia Tech, right? They're not any good. Miami, however, while not 
great. They're a solid team. And you looked really good against them and shutting down the run. Can you now do it against Kevin John's offense? Lacking the talent, they're still going to want to be able to run the ball. Uh, their top rusher was, was not playing uh, Jalen Coleman. He did not play against Georgia Tech. He's expected to be back this week. That's, that's a, a key element, right? Um, but now the Duke knows that you're going to do whatever you can to shut down the run. Can you still do it? And I think that's how you, you kind of tell, is Gene Chizik able to make the necessary adjustments this week to keep doing what he's been doing? Because he knows coverage is an issue for this defense. And the way that they win games is by getting off the field occasionally by being able to limit what the other team can do running the ball. And so I, I, I think how he schemes it up to be able to prevent Duke from being balanced is the key. The only chance Duke has, I think, to win this game is to put up a lot of points. The only way they put up a lot of points is if they're clicking both in the run game and in the passing game. Riley Leonard can run. He's, he's not like an elite runner by any stretch, as we've already talked about, but he can be effective. You know, if things break down, he can pick up a first down. He can scramble for 25 yards. So you have to limit all that. And if you can do that, that's the progress that you're looking for. Of With the team knowing that you're trying to stop their run game, and you have two tapes, two game tapes, showing that you can do it and how you did it, can you still do that? Can you still be effective in your goal of shutting down the run? And if they can do that, I think that is another step in the right direction. That gives you three consecutive games where you've had success, uh, and that's how you tell if this defense is making progress, even though you're playing a team that is nowhere near as talented as your previous opponent. Yep. That's Greg sits over there on the sidelines and just comes in and executes. Great, great break. No need to come to me on this side of the ball. Greg just answered it all. Oh, yeah. No, I was going straight to predictions because it's 10.07 on the east. Uh, it's been a long day, um, and folks are, are ready to do whatever they do after 10 o'clock on Thursday nights. Jason, predictions. Let's go. Um, well, I think this this is one of those games where talent matters, and North Carolina has a lot more of it than Duke, even though – I really like Leonard at quarterback. I think uh, I think Elko is is a good fit for what they're doing. I, I just I don't see you 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 when you when you watch these two teams line up, it's going to be obvious which team should win the game. So, uh, and you know, as good as Leonard is, I'd still take Drake May. So I think Carolina is going to win this one going away. Uh, I think something like. 45 to 24 is probably in that ballpark. I wouldn't be surprised to see it a little bit, a little bit wider than that, depending on how the defense plays. But uh, actually I'm going to go with 45, 17 in this game as my, as my prediction. Whew, Greg, what you got? That's strong. Um, and I don't disagree. I, this is one of those games where it could either be close or it's going to be a Carolina blowout. Uh, I, I think a lot of things have to work in Duke's favor for this game to be close. And I know a lot of the metrics really like Duke. And what I mean by that is when you look at, say, uh, Brian Fremo's data, he's got Carolina winning by five. I think the line is, what, like seven, eight points now? Um, Bill Connolly, I think he's got it within, like, maybe a touchdown. Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Jason, though. The talent discrepancy is just massive here. And you, 
as Max said after the Notre Dame game, to consistently compete and beat a team like Notre Dame, they've got to recruit better. Well, the talent gap between Carolina and Duke is massive compared to the talent gap between Carolina and Notre Dame. Um, and I think there's just a lot of things that have to go right for Duke to be able to win. I don't think it's much of a home field advantage. There's probably going to be just as many Carolina fans there as there will be Duke. So that's not really an advantage. Um, I, I just I just think that North Carolina has too many weapons. And so I don't have it quite as big as, as Jason there. But I've got Carolina winning this one uh, 38-24. Yeah, I'll go 48-28. But like I said just a minute ago before we got into this, it it just – man, those games like Georgia Tech and FSU, those games, uh, they get you kind of gun-shy. They kind of rattle around up here, don't they? Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. You remember (laughs) that, don't you? (laughs) I mean, earlier you were talking about Jeff Sims throwing NFL-level throws, and I'm like, he didn't have to last year. All he had to do was run wild. Um, couple, uh, let's get out of here, but I'm going to ask one question. Nick Whitfield asked if you could add one former North Carolina player on offense and I'll do, or defense, who would you pick? And let's keep it within reason. Cause I mean, I go Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, and I'd probably go Julius Peppers if we went there. Um, and I'd probably go Robert Quinn if we came back a little bit more. Greg, who would you put? If you could add one player on defense, we'll leave it to defense because I'm ready to get out of here. But it's a good question. Who would you want on this team from North Carolina? Uh, let's just keep it recent. MJ Stewart, I think, would be a would be a great addition to the secondary. Uh, and then offensively, I, I think you got to go with a uh, a running back. I mean. Javante, Geo. I mean, I, I think there's a number of guys like that that would add a add an element for the reasons we've already talked about tonight. Speaking of uh, Geo, do we do we like the chrome helmet? Somebody said, do y'all like the chrome look? I know you're not a big uniform guy, but I am think? not whatsoever. I love the helmet though. I just think you got to go with blue pants to make it pop. I'm I with you the, there. I think the stormtrooper look just doesn't work with that that helmet. I, I'm not big on the stormtrooper look. So, so my, my, my take on this, on the uniform front, I have some very strong opinions on uniforms. My number one take is that you, in any alternate uniform you wear, you should emphasize whatever is your strongest aspect of your brand. You want whoever's tuning in, they're flipping through the channels to be able to recognize who's playing right away and be like, oh, that's such and such. So, you know, p- people point to like, oh, Oregon has, you know, a hundred different combinations. Yeah. And every time you see him play, it's like, well, that's obviously Oregon. Nobody else wears highlighters like that, except for maybe Baylor now who copied him. But you know, that's basically their thing, right? Carolina has something that is special and that is Carolina blue. Nobody else has Carolina blue. It's Carolina blue. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's its own blue. And to me, it's such an, such a, an awesome color that, that needs to be something that's there in the uniforms, no matter what, to where, you know, if you're going to go with the chrome lids, have the Carolina blue pants, go with that. Uh, I, you know, and if, if you got my uniform preference, for example, I, I think the, you know, the classic, uh, you know, what they're calling throwbacks, but are, you know, really just like Mac Brown one, uh, you know, pre Argyle uh, Carolina uniforms, those ones are my favorite. Cause it's just straight Carolina blue with, you know, the great Carolina blue helmet 
and just it it looks really good. I like the I do like going to the chrome lids if you're going to do that, but I agree, Greg. If you're going to do it, you got to have some Carolina, you know, white on white. I mean, who are you? What what's what's different about you? What what where's the brand? Yeah, come on, J Bone, pull out the blue pants, pull out the blue britches before y'all get done. While we're while we're <laughs> on it, the greatest travesty, in my opinion, and I don't care about uniforms really, but. If the Carolina State game is not blue, blue, red, red every year, it's a travesty. I know we've, I've, we've done it, it one time. It looks so awesome when they it do does. it. <laughs> I've heard they won't do it, though, because State won't allow all that Carolina blue in Raleigh. Well, Carolina and, has – And then vice versa. Carolina has tried to make it happen, and they've received pushback. So. I heard, and I don't know if it's accurate, I heard Tennessee's wearing all orange and Bama was going to wear all burgundy. I See, can't I'm all for that. that for rivalry games where you have really yeah. opposing colors. I just think it looks awesome. You know, the, the USC, USC, the USC UCLA game, when you have all that color, it just looks awesome. Yep. Yeah, I agree with there. Uh, Carolina busting out the, the blue chrome, whatever they call them, icy hots, whatever. As long as they win, a lot of people will not care. That <laughs> 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 gives me some bad memories thinking about Icy Hot back in in the old athletic days. All right, boys, it's been the Game Plan Podcast. It's a little longer than we normally go. Uh, stay tuned for uh, Inside Carolina Live on Saturday, I guess three hours before kick. So we're recording 5 to 7 p.m. Yep, with Joey Powell. Like I mentioned before, we'll have Dan Orner on that show Uh Everybody's asking about the, the inflatable helmet. I'm sure we'll get him to talk about it. Greatest tackle in Carolina history. <laughs> I know, really. And what's funny to me, and I've heard him tell it before. Well, I won't spoil it. you got to listen to him tell the story. It is quite hilarious. Uh, Greg Barnes, <laughs> Jason Staples. I've been your host, Tommy Ashley. Johnny T-Shirt sponsored us. Mm, woo! We are out. See y'all Saturday. We, we went longer because Buck wasn't here with the timer. Oh, yeah. If anybody has a... Uh, hourglass that I can have. I will set it right here on my computer and keep it going. It's been fun, boys.